Welcome to Money Talks, a series of interviews with me, Liam Halligan, Economics and Business Editor of GB News. In this episode, I talk to Andrew Baxter, CEO of Europa Worldwide Group, one of the UK's biggest logistics companies. Specialising in freight forwarding and distribution across numerous countries, Europa turns over several hundred million pounds each year and employs over a thousand people in the UK, Hong Kong and elsewhere. In this wide-ranging interview, Andrew Baxter and I discussed the HGV driver shortage, supply chain price pressures and why he thinks current measures of UK inflation seriously underestimate the price rises faced by producers, distributors and ultimately consumers as well. Andrew, great to see you on The Money. We're delighted that you're here. Tell us a little bit about the business, what it does and the scale at which you do it. Um, so we are a logistics company. Um, our principal, our biggest business is uh, distribution of goods between the UK and Europe. We're, we're pretty much the market leader for palletized distribution uh, between the UK and the continent. Um, but we're also a 3PL um, warehousing provider um, and um, we're in the also in the air and sea freight business. So we're very much involved in the sort of supply chain issues that are going on in the world today. Um, in, in total, we are about 1,200 people um, and um, our turnover is about 260-something million. Quite a serious operation that you're running there, Andrew. Who'd have thought that we'd all be talking in the pubs and clubs of Britain about supply chains? I know. Isn't that exciting? <laughs> How serious are these supply chain issues? We hear that they're really feeding into inflation now. In the run-up to Christmas, there's genuine concern about certain goods not making it onto the shelves in our shops and supermarkets. Have you seen anything like this in your years in the business? Um, I would say it's probably the most acute supply chain issues that I've seen, and supply chain costs have been rising very rapidly. Um, there's a, a huge amount of disruption, really, that's come off the back of COVID. Um, you know, that's made a big impact in terms of uh, containers coming in from uh, the Far East, in particular. Container prices moving from, you know, two or three thousand dollars a box to. $18,000. These are the huge metal boxes, boxes that yep. you put on ships. Yep. Yes. So uh, the, the price of those has gone through the roof, really, because of capacity issues. Um, obviously, people are buying product in, in Asia and bringing it to the UK. If the, the cost of the container goes from 3000 to 18000 you know, it might not be worth This actually. is to rent the container for one trip. For, for one trip, yeah. yeah. You, just the cost of that could actually under, six undermine, times more expensive. It could, could undermine actually whether it's worth bringing things in anymore. So um, you know, there's a, there's a huge amount happened there. There's a lot going on in the UK economy, um, particularly there's labour shortages because we haven't got that flow of uh, sort of cheaper immigration that we had before uh, pre Brexit, um, and you know, uh, and, and that that is putting up labour rates, which of course is great for all the labour who are in our warehouses or truck drivers. Uh, is great for them, but of course, um, you know, those costs are going through and in, in, into the economy and um, will impact prices. So you see a lot of uh, inflation in, in the supply chain, Andrew. How, I mean, are we through the worst of it yet? Or do you think inflation, which is currently 3.1%, the Bank of England saying it's going to peak at 5% in April 2022. Does that sound about right to you? Um, what we see is something much higher than that. 
Um, wow. So, um, yeah, I would say my, my number one economic concern um, would be what is happening uh, with inflation. And um, we see something running at a much, much higher rate than that. Um, so, I mean, of course, so labour rates are going up uh, very, very significantly. Um, and, um, you know, there's a real shortage in capacity um, in pretty much everything, in, um, in warehousing, in trucks, in, um, in everything. Um, and therefore, prices are, are shooting up. And um, we're having to pay much higher prices. And we're passing it on to our customers, and our customers are paying higher prices. Um, it, it feels very, very inflationary. I don't think I'm exaggerating to say that you've got a, probably a better overall view of the British supply chain, given who you are and what Europa is, than almost anyone else in this country, if I may say so. And you're thinking that 5% inflation is an underestimate. Yeah, I mean, it feels like a lot more than that. And, and certainly, you know, in terms of supply chain costs, they're, they're rocketing up at a much higher rate than that. I, I would think double digit. And as business costs go up, input costs go up, logistics costs go up, in the end, they have to be expressed in consumer prices, don't they? They, 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 they have to be. And um, I, I don't know whether my... I have a very good view of what's happening within the world of supply chain, whether that skews my view of what's happening in the broader world, maybe it does. So, um, but, but I mean, certainly in the area I'm in, I can see you know, rapidly rising prices. Andrew, explain this HGV driver crisis to me. Why is it that there's such a shortage of people driving heavy goods vehicles in this country? Is it entirely a Brexit thing? Because we haven't been training enough HGV drivers, have we, for a long time? Um, I would say that the, the biggest single impact is that during COVID, people were not learning to be truck drivers and were not getting tested to be truck drivers. And therefore, the normal flow of people who would come into the marketplace, um, you know, did, did not get qualified. Um, and that is the, the biggest single factor that which has created that shortage. There is a factor which is around um, people going home uh, to Eastern Europe or whatever due to Brexit um, and a factor of less people coming in. But the biggest single factor is COVID-related, less people training and being tested to become truck drivers in the last 18 months. Do you see any sign, Andrew, that that driver shortage is easing? The government said that it's... Um, pushing DVLA, the, the Department of Vehicle Licensing Agency, to process license renewals quicker. It says it's pushing more money into the training of drivers. Do you see any sign of those new drivers coming through? Um, I, I think there are signs of uh, drivers coming through. But the, the reality is, in, in, you know, we're running into our peak in the run up to Christmas. There is, um, you know, at that, this time of year, a, a big increase in demand uh, for trucks and drivers and, and everything else. Um, and, um, you know, therefore, the, the, the picture today is very tight and probably tighter than it was a month ago. Um, this is not going to get solved this time, this side of Christmas. We've got six, seven weeks left um, before Christmas, um, but it will get solved in sort of January, February next year. Um, so, you know, one way or another, um, we'll have to ride it out. And, um, and, and I imagine that the actual repercussions of this, of goods being uh, not available in shops and so on, I, th I think will be relatively modest in the end. But the press will make a meal of it. Yeah, it will all be, yeah. People. Journalists will go nuts. Oh, my yeah. God, there's no hummus. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, it does seem like we're all very sensitive uh, these days uh, to running out of things. But, um, you know, actually, I don't think it will be any, you know, such a big deal in the end. Let's just scroll back in your mind to before this pandemic. It seems like a long time ago. But say 2016, 17, 18, you're in the business, you're running Europa, you've got this huge logistics company that you're managing. Tell me about the state of the British logistics infrastructure for somebody like you who has such experience of mainland Europe as well. Our freight rail system, our roads, our ports. How good is British infrastructure for logistics? To what extent does it need to be upgraded? Um, I mean, ultimately, people like me will always like a few more roads uh, and, um, you know, more infrastructure. Uh, I, I, I think that, it, that, that there's no doubt that, um, you know, the UK is quite difficult from an infrastructure point of view. Part of it because England is the most densely op- occupied country in Europe um, and therefore there is inherently a lot of pressure and if you compare that to France or to Sweden or somewhere you know there there literally is less pressure on their infrastructure Um, but um, you know of course you you won't um, find me arguing against the 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 need for investment in 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 road infrastructure and port infrastructure and, and and so on. How serious is the situation at Felixstowe, by many definitions, our our biggest port, our main Europe-facing port, certainly for freight and shipping, if not for people? There are signs from where I'm sitting that there really is logistical snarl-ups with many containers now sitting there for want of HGV drivers for a long time. Um, I think um, COVID restrictions have played a, a big part in those snarl-ups. Um, so increased cleaning um, of equipment and uh, that's coming off vessels and so on um, that has meant the turnaround of ships in the port uh, has been slower and therefore the volume that they've been able to process through the ports has been less. I, I, th- I think you know they have really struggled in this environment where, again, there's been a, a, a big increase in uh, demand of goods uh, post-COVID, um, and, um, and and also the the shortage of trucks has meant that we have not been able to move containers off the quay fast enough, which has meant they've not been able to bring ships into the port fast enough. A whole range of, of different issues have been impacted. It's not just here in the UK, though, is it? There are similar issues in Rotterdam. There are similar issues at Long Beach, one of America's yeah. biggest ports yeah. over there in California. The, 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 these are sort of global issues, um, you know, and, and a lot of these issues um, are starting in the, in, in the Far East with, um, you know, COVID restrictions for uh, drivers and staff coming into ports, um, impacting the amount of volume that they can shift out of ports um, in, in the Far East. Um, these things are, are global issues and they're global ramifications of the startup post, uh, post-COVID. post At the beginning of October, we had the fuel crisis, didn't we? We had people queuing up at garages to fill up their cars and vans with petrol and diesel. To what extent do you think that crisis was real or do you think it was partly in the minds of people? Um, I, I, I think the fuel stocks were operating marginally below normal um, and um, then all of a sudden there was this uh, panic buying that came about um, maybe because of this leak um, that you know was accused to be because of the RHA. Um, This is the Road Haulage Association who allegedly leaked 
to the newspapers, uh, information they got on a call with government and the oil companies that some deliveries might be delayed because of a shortage of HGV drivers. Yeah, that's right. And and, and all that sort of calls this panic buying of, of fuel. And, and yeah, and, and of course, that, that is really fundamentally what created it. It's the same thing like toilet roll buying or any other panic buying, of course, you know, in supply chains that are based around a relatively smooth level of demand. Of course, if you spike demand very quickly, um, then that will create a shortage. You know, that can be the same in anything. Um, but, but, but mainly those things are, uh, you know, have been created by panic buying. But this went on for quite a few weeks. Why, why didn't, you know, why didn't ministers say something? Actually, it's all fine. Calm down. Um, or I does that make it worse? I, 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 I think I think they were saying calm down, but but you know again people panic about running out of fuel or you know that they won't be able to do what they want to do. So you know that that that, that is what people do, isn't it? Um, I, and I don't think that any amount of um, the government telling people not to do it stops people from doing it. Uh, I think that's the that's the truth. Why did people go nuts about buying toilet roll? And uh, you know you couldn't stop know. people doing it. <laughs> people do do that though. Yeah. Tell us about the UK's trading relations with uh, the European Union. Again, you're absolutely at the sharp end of this. Europa specialises in transport between the UK and the European mainland. How difficult was it during the transition period in terms of the logistics? To what extent have those logistical pressures been eased now? Um, I think the transition from being within the customs union to outside of the customs union was very complicated. You know, I'm somebody who's in favour of Brexit, um, and I, um, but, but, but you know, the complexities uh, that were introduced by leaving the customs union in terms of transportation of goods between the, the UK and Europe are, are, are very significant. Um, and um, in January this year, um, it, it was very, very difficult. Um, there's so many complex new processes that were introduced, you know, that we struggled for, you know, a month, six weeks to get that flow right. Um, but, you know, after that, more or less, it, it, it has smoothed out. Uh, and today, this flow of goods is pretty much normal. Having said that, what there is is a huge additional piece of administration um, around customs clearance, export declarations to leave the UK, import declarations to enter the EU, and vice versa if you're, you're importing into the UK. You know, that, that, that is a huge piece of bureaucracy. In my business alone, we, we employ more than 90 additional people to do the administration around um, th that is being caused by Brexit. That's um, how you said you've got 1,200 employees. 1,200 employees. That's a big percentage increase we in have people. We 700 people in the office, yeah. and 90 of them are, are just doing that administration around that. Um, and, you know, and that, that, that's not a good thing. And, you know, and, and that's in, in our business, but also in, then it's mirrored in our customers' businesses, and it's mirrored within HMRC. So you know, there are thousands of people um, engaged in this extra layer of administration. And um, you know, Brexit is supposed to, in the end, lower bureaucracy. That's kind of part of the idea. But the first thing that's happened is we've inserted a big piece of bureaucracy. And I think the government need to really focus on, on 
how to simplify those processes to, to put less burden on um, on exporters and importers and, and complainers like ours. Brexit was always going to be tough. We're obviously challenging the whole idea of the European Union, a major economy leaving. To what extent do you think these this huge bureaucracy that you've described is a function of one side, maybe both sides, if you like, just not being completely uh, as uh, uh, compliant as they could be. Won't these things ease? Won't they? the flare-up um, be doused in the end? What has happened is we now apply the same rules to goods from the EU as we apply to the rest of the world. So it's not, you know, in some ways it's not an extraordinary thing. Mm. It's just applying the same rules as the rest of the world. But, it, of course, actually trading with the EU was part of the EU, you know, was, was a much more simple process. Do you think that the EU is applying to the UK the same procedures that they apply to any other non-EU country? Or do you think they're being particularly difficult with us for now to make Brexit uh, look like a bad idea? Um, I think they're applying pretty much the same rules to us as they apply to the rest of the world. Um, I know there's lots of Brexiteers who want to say that that's other than that, but but in reality they're applying. That's an important statement because you, you yeah. this is what you do. Yeah, you, you know they're, they're applying the, the same rules to us. Does that mean that those rules and processes are um, you know entirely necessary? No, I, I don't think they are. And I think there's a huge amount that can be done to cut that administration. Um, but, you know, it needs real will in government and understanding of, of people in government to actually drive that out. But the problem with customs is it's literally so boring and so complicated that not many people really understand it. And, you know, not enough senior politicians understand it well enough to actually go and get hold of it and... Uh, and, and and, and to simplify it, making these things more complicated is, is easy. Making them simpler is actually quite a complicated process. When we were in the EU, we were the only major economy in the EU that traded more with the world beyond the EU than with the EU ourselves. Our EU trade has gone from about 60% of our exports to roughly about 40% over the last 20 years or so. So by definition, we're going to be trading a lot more, Andrew, with the rest of the world than with the EU does that worry you, given that your business is all about UK-EU trade? Well, part of our business is about the rest of the world. Um, so, of course, we're, you know, we're looking to expand that side of our business. Um, it, also, you know, we've focused very intensely on optimising um, the flow of goods post-Brexit. I believe we've done a very good job of that. And we've won quite a lot of market share by being really effective mm. at preserving the flow of goods. Um, and therefore, frankly, we see opportunities. We see opportunities in Brexit. We saw opportunities if there was no Brexit. Um, so, um, you know, I, I, I feel quite comfortable in, you know, growing and expanding in the current environment. I have to ask you, What's it like day to day running a company, being the CEO of a company that you own a big chunk of? You've got 1,200 employees. You're turning over tens, hundreds of millions of pounds, enormous amounts of responsibility. What's it like? 
Um, <laughs> generally, you know, generally, I quite like it. The, the, the truth is, I love it when it's all working. When <laughs> when we're when we're making money, everything's going as it should do. Um, and how often's uh, that? <laughs> uh, about half the time, probably. Oh, okay, uh, that's quite, then, quite a lot. <laughs> I thought you were going to say two days a year or something. <laughs> and, and, and then there are other times, um, you know, when you feel really under pressure. And you, and and you kind of wonder why why am I doing this? But um, but 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 most of the time I love it, and um, um, you know it, it's it's very interesting. It's a very interesting sector, and um, you know I really enjoy what I do. Can you imagine working for anyone else ever again? I now think you... I'm, I'm fundamentally unemployable. I, I can't now go back. I don't think that that that, that is possible for me. And uh, hopefully I keep everything rolling, so I so I don't need to. And what would you say to people, finally, Andrew, watching this who think, oh, I'd like to run a business. Maybe I've got that in me. You must know many, many entrepreneurs operating at a high level. Is there something about them that they have in common that makes them entrepreneurial, that makes them determined enough and single-minded enough to set up a business? I'm, I'm sure there's plenty of things that um, successful entrepreneurs have in common, but you know a, a lot of it is you know you've got to have the, the the blind faith to get off the fence and and go and do it. You know, it, it's not a very particularly comfortable place. Um, you know, putting yourself out there and at risk in that way and putting your fear of failure money at risk, fear of failure. People, you know, often are looking or waiting for you to, to, to fail. Um, you know, it, 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 yeah, I, th I think a lot of it is being ballsy enough to, to get in there and do it and know that, you know, you're going to have to fight your way out of difficult problems that, you know, that you don't yet even know exist, let alone what the solution to them is. <laughs> um, and, um, you, you know, but, but so I, th I think that, that that's a, a critical thing. And ultimately... A lot of people will talk about wanting to do it. Um, there's a lot of uh, hard work and stress and pain that is involved in in um, running your own business in in that, in that kind of way. So you've got to be deeply dedicated to wanting to do that. But if if people do want to do it, you know, it, it's a, also a great way of life. So it's what I do. I wouldn't want to do something else, um, and I wouldn't ever discourage somebody else from you know trying to do the same thing. Thanks a lot for appearing on The Money, Andrew Baxter. Brilliant. Nice to talk to you. Thanks a lot for listening to Money Talks. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please do leave a rating and review on Apple iTunes, YouTube, or wherever you're listening or watching. Please subscribe to Money Talks so you never miss an episode. And check out my TV show, On The Money, which appears at 1pm Monday to Friday on GB News. Or you can catch up via the GB News YouTube channel or app. GB News. Britain's news channel.